Thank you for joining us for this Prima podcast. My name is Taekwon Gilbert. I'm the education coordinator at Prima and the moderator for today's podcast. October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. National Cybersecurity Awareness Month was designed to increase awareness regarding the significance of cybersecurity, as well as provide the necessary resources to ensure people are safe and secure online. To commemorate the 19th anniversary of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, Prima created a National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Each week during the month of October, Prima will feature podcasts that share important information about cybersecurity. On this podcast, Che Batia, Managing Director for Aeon Cyber Solutions, elaborates on the importance of cyber insurance and in mitigating cyber risk. Thank you for joining us today, Che. Thank you, Taquan. So delighted to be having this discussion with you. All right, to start, as someone who works for a top five global incident response firm, can you share what you are seeing in the current threat landscape? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, 2022 has been a, a really interesting year as we sort of reflect back on 2021 and, and 2020. You know, back when... Um, in the last few years, obviously, when COVID really started to, to have an impact on folks all over all over the world, you know, we, we saw organizations having to rapidly lift and shift uh, their entire workforces to work remotely. You know, there was a, a sort of a rapid change in infrastructures, a r- rapid change in, in just sort of how people worked. And really, the push was to get things from an IT perspective functional. And so, what we what we saw was a, a lot of these organizations. I think were really focused on making sure that folks could work remotely and they could, um, you know, with minimal issues, and they could continue to resume their day to day business operations with minimal impact. And what we saw was, I, I think, security sort of taken a sort of being a, a second priority for organizations. I mean, we we saw a lot of them doing their best, but, you know, the typical controls that we like to see were, weren't always uh, being implemented. And so it really became sort of a, an opportunity by by the, the attackers and the threat actor groups and what have you to really target, you know, these organizations, whether, you know, they're small organizations or medium-sized organizations or large-sized organizations, to take sort of a, a, a wash ones repeat approach, you know, and, and infect these organizations with ransomware or, or conduct whatever cyber-related attack that they were, you know, a- aiming to to, uh, to achieve. And that's why we saw back in, in 2020 and 2021 sort of this proliferation of, of ransomware attacks that were affecting even some of the most mature organizations out there that have just great you know, security programs and, and just great, you know, processes and people and technologies and, and things of that nature, you know, being compromised. You know, 2022, we started to see sort of that that taper down. I, I wouldn't say significantly, but we've certainly seen seen it taper down. And, and I think I would attribute it, attribute it to a variety of things. First, I, I think the the controls that the insurance carriers, the cyber insurance carriers are now, you know, really focused on when an organization wants to renew for cyber insurance or apply for cyber insurance, 
you know, that they're really focused on making sure sort of the control security, you know, the, the basic low-hanging fruit uh, cybersecurity controls are in place. So I think that's that's really made a, a difference because it's really forced organizations to to do sort of the, the bare basics. But secondly, I think, you know, the government in the U.S., our feds are doing a much better job collaborating, I think, with other governments to really collaborate and, and sort of, you know, focus on sort of taking down these threat actors or taking down the infrastructure or the resources that, that a lot of these threat actors are using to conduct the attacks. So um, it, it's just becoming harder and harder for, for threat actors to to do, you know, what, what they were able to do, I think, much easier in the last few years. It's getting harder for them to, to do and actually be, be successful. And then certainly the, the geopolitical events um, that, that, you know, have been occurring in, in this year, I think, have really diverted a lot of these you know, sort of resources that, you know, initially thought they were they were protected or, you know, to, to you know, conduct these attacks, I think they're just kind of staying below the radar because they, you know, either they're focused on other things or they just, they feel like the timing is not right to continue to resume their activity. So I would say, you know, we still, as a, as a top five global incident response firm, are responding to, you know, the typical ransomware activity, the business email compromise activity, we're seeing a lot of third parties or you know, sort of um, you know vendors or suppliers, their infrastructures or their environments being uh, compromised, and the attackers using their environments to affect their downstream downstream clients. So the supply chain uh, digitally continues to be a target by the attackers. But I, I you know I think we're certainly seeing a less a lot less activity than we have in, in the last few years. Are there minimum controls needed to obtain insurance? Also, is this situation fluid, meaning do we expect changes to happen frequently to increase the level of requirements in order to obtain insurance? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it's sort of what I alluded to earlier. The, the cyber insurance carriers are absolutely focused on a handful of controls, and I'll, I'll just name those controls. They're, they're focused on, you know, whether an entity or an organization has multi-factor authentication in place, and that's for you know, accessing, you know, systems from sort of the, you know, the external side or, or, or the public, uh, the public internet. So if you're accessing, you know, a VPN system, they, they want to ensure that multi-factor authentication is, is being required. There's a lot of organizations that will, you know, what's called virtual desktop infrastructure deployed. And, you know, that's a, it's a great tool for uh, folks to, log in and be able to conduct work remotely. They're wanting to see multi-factor authentication turned on there. In addition to even access to email, some, some may refer to that as webmail, you know, organizations out there. A lot of them are using Office 365. That, that's another, another platform that they're wanting to make sure it's protected. So carriers are just wanting to make sure that from the outside in as they're accessing systems, there's a, a stronger form of authentication to really ensure that the person is who they who they claim to to be. They're also really focused on what administrators can do and how they're accessing systems. So some MFA is is obviously something that they're looking to to see have deployed for administrator access or what we call privilege access into systems. So that's 
that's a big, big deal right now for, for the insurance carriers. And then certainly there are other examples of where they're wanting to see MFA, i.e., you know, MFA for access to the backup systems, uh, administrative access to the backup systems, et cetera. Another key control is endpoint detection and response. So it's sort of a, a next generation antivirus and sort of a, a detection tool that is constantly running on, you know, the, the endpoints uh, that, that are managed uh, by the by the organization or the entity and really provides sort of an additional uh, level of protection uh, based on some of the more sophisticated ways that an, an attacker will exploit or, or target a machine. Not only that, you know, it sort of captures what is what is being done. So it's a great tool for folks like us on the forensics side to really understand if, we, if we're conducting an investigation what, what actually, you know, what, what actually occurred. Phishing exercises and, and cyber awareness training is another key area. Vulnerability management is uh, absolutely a focus of the carriers these days. So, you know, there are several vectors that attackers will use to get into in an environment. We always, you know, hear about email and, and you know, somebody being socially engineered into clicking on something or going somewhere or, you know, opening up a document and, 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 you know, ultimately enabling a macro. We hear about that quite a bit, but attackers are always taking advantage of vulnerabilities in software as well. So, so really the, the carriers are, are wanting to make sure that, you know, organizations or those in the public sector are really doing a good job identifying you know, vulnerabilities in their environment and, and categorizing those vulnerabilities from, you know, whether it's a critical or a medium or a low and, and really addressing the critical vulnerabilities um, ASAP while maybe, you know, ha- having a little bit more time to to patch the the, the medium and, and, and certainly the low vulnerabilities. So, so vulnerability management is a very big deal these days by, by, the, by the insurance carriers. And they're also really honing in on the, the, you know, the ability for an organization or a public sector entity to respond to an incident, right? I think there's a lot of focus on you know, how do we mitigate the risk of, of something really bad happening, but in the event that it does, can we respond admirably? Can we respond quickly? Can we limit the, the damage that an attacker can, can, uh, can do? Can we catch it? Do we have that visibility to, to be able to catch it? So. Incident response planning, disaster recovery planning, backups, making sure there's a sound strategy is very important. And then there's other controls as well, but I'll just conclude with uh, just uh, for, for those that are, you know, uh, in the manufacturing vertical or, or, or what have you that have sort of, you know, dedicated systems that are used for, you know, manufacturing processes and things of that nature. We, we call those OT systems or operational technology systems. They're really honing in on that to make sure that, um, you know, there's proper segmentation and proper controls deployed uh, deployed there and, and you know, to, to ensure that an attacker can't get in there and then use that to pivot into the IT uh, environment, which is, you know, the typical systems that we use every day to do our jobs or vice versa. So absolutely there are key controls that the the underwriters are are focused on uh, these days. And what we've seen uh, within the organization that I work for is that if if an organization has maturity 
you know, in these areas and they're doing good things and they've really thought about, you know, they've done proper risk management around these areas, you know, that, that tends to, to translate into a better outcome, whether it's, you know, premium costing or just in level, you know, amounts of insurance as opposed to the, you know, the, the situation where, uh, you know, a premium could go up 100%, 200%, 300%. In, in, in a lot of times, for less coverage. So it is absolutely fluid to Quan, and, and I, I suspect that, you know, as time goes on, the, the insurance carriers will be asking for more controls. But, you know, essentially what we, we know that there's essentially 12 major sort of control areas that the, that the underwriters are focused on these days. Because of the existing cyber insurance market, are you seeing organizations no longer purchase cyber insurance? And if so, how are they addressing cyber risk to mitigate the risk of a significant financial exposure? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. And it's a question that I think certainly I, I'm, you know, I'm receiving many days these days and I know many of our, our, many of my colleagues are, are as well. It's kind of the million dollar question. Given how crazy the markets are right now, you know, do we need to buy insurance? Do we need to buy as much insurance that we, that we have? Do we just take those dollars and, and sort of, um, you know, use those dollars to invest in the prevention and the mitigation of, of something something bad happening. So the answer is yes. I do see many uh, organizations or you know so sometimes entities not you know purchasing insurance. Now of course sometimes by law they have to, or sometimes by you know a contract uh, or contract they have to, or sometimes there's regulation or compliance obligations that require them to to have cyber insurance but but in cases where they they do have sort of an option to not buy cyber insurance we do see organizations really you know, taking a close look at that and saying do we do we take those dollars and and invest it in, in other areas of, of security you know our, our position at aon cyber solutions and and straws freeberg is is really you know we we want the client to do what's right for them but we also want them to be informed and have all of the data that they need to make an informed decision. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, we submit to our clients when they're kind of thinking about this is, you know, maybe conducting a, a quantitative, you know, um, assessment of some type to really understand, first of all, what are the major cyber risks to the organization or, or to the public sector entity? But what are the, the major risks? For example, you know, is a ransomware attack a major risk to the organization or to the entity? Most likely the answer is yes. Is an attack on systems that are being used to manufacture, you know, a, a particular product, is, is that major risk? If that system were to go down for some period of time, would that be a major risk or exposure to the business, right? I submit to you that in the manufacturing space, that would be a major risk, right? I mean, if you can't manufacture, you're possibly losing hundreds of, of thousands to, to millions of dollars per day. So, you know, being being down for a, a week or, or two weeks, it could have very devastating financial implications to the, to the organization or to the entity. What we advise, you know, our clients to do is you know, understand the major cybersecurity-related risks that are out there and certainly, you know, don't kind of decide that in a vacuum. Please, you know, work with your partners and your trusted relationships. Certainly, we are, you know, we're a go-to incident response firm for many organizations and many, many public sector entities. We're top five, so we kind of know 
what's happening on quote unquote the street. And so we advise, you know, our, our clients and what we're seeing on a daily basis. But the point is, you know, identify the top three to five risks that could have very devastating impact and then sort of talk through, you know, what an attacker could do um, to, to to get in and, and, and actually have that risk materialize, right? So once you understand risks and what, you know, the attackers, you know, would do to, to get in or, or cause cause that to occur, you know, what are the controls that we have in place? How can we actually mitigate that from, from actually occurring? And then based on that, we have a pretty good understanding of quantitatively, if a ransomware attack or whatever the risks are that we identified were to occur quantitatively, what would be the impact to the organization? Would it be $5 million? Would it be $10 million? Would it be $15 million? Would it be, you know, far less? Who knows? So having claims data, insurance claims data on what, you know, the previous uh, costs have been because of a, you know, of a breach or an incident, having that incident response data and having, you know, that sort of firm that, you know, that that is trusted to be able to say this is what we're seeing and doing that quantitative analysis really helps an organization, A, you know, decide whether or not they need to transfer that, can you continue to transfer that risk to an insurance product because the financial exposure is just, it is just very significant, so they have to have insurance because the, the implications of the balance sheet would be very significant. Sometimes they're using that tool to right size their insurance and they say, well, wait a minute, you know, we're buying, you know, all this coverage where if we're, you know, based on this quantitative analysis that we're doing, we really, we really don't think that we need that much insurance. Let's buy less insurance, you know, and, and, and give, you know, the security leader or the technology leader, really whoever owns the security sort of program within the, the organization or the entity, let's give them more of those dollars to mitigate the risk of, of those particular things from from happening. So again, right sizing or, you know, just outright saying we're we're not gonna we're we're just not gonna we're not gonna have insurance. We're just gonna retain we're gonna retain the risk as opposed to transferring the risk or mitigating the risk or maybe looking at a captive of, of some sort. So the point is is that you know there are wonderful qualitative you know risk assessment methodologies that are out there. We've been using it in the security uh, space for for many years, but you know we we've just been encouraging our clients to also do a quantitative you know assessment to really understand quantitatively if these particular cyber attacks were to to occur quantitatively, what would be the impact, and then decide how you want to handle risk going going forward. Those in leadership of security programs continue to struggle to articulate the value of their security budgets to executive management. As you work with other organizations or entities in the private and public sectors, can you share how you see others making the case for continued investment in information security? Yeah, that's a really good question. So so what I would say is, you know, kind of kind of piggybacking on, on what I just said in terms of quant analysis, I think that's a really good way to be able to show that or demonstrate that the top, you know, three to five to seven risks to our to our organization or to our, you know, public you know, to public sector entity is, you know, is uh, this amount of money, and we are actually mitigating that risk down to, you know, a, a level where you know, we've reduced that that exposure pretty significantly by virtue of what we what we've actually implemented or, or 
the controls that we've invested in or what have you. So that's a great way to really show that the investments that are being made are, are actually having, you know, some type of, you know, impact, you know, to, to the organization or to, or to the entity. I think secondly, you know, we, we see a lot of organizations and, and those in the public sector uh, space, you know, continue to, you know, pair up with, uh, again, their, their incident response partners or their strategic advisors in that space to really have a, a good pulse of what's happening on the incident response space to really understand, you know, what's occurring, right? And once they, you know, have that information, you know, they, they can present to, to leadership, you know, here are some of the things that we are hearing about are actually occurring, actually occurring in our space. And once you, you know, are, are able to communicate that, then you can say, we, you know, we've made investments and we've made, you know, we, we've done some really good things to mitigate risk around that space. So we think we're, we're in a pretty, you know, in a pretty good spot as it pertains to these particular, these particular things from, from occurring. So, you know, I, I think, I think as, as security leaders and technology leaders are talking to their boards and, and they're talking to their executive team and what have you, you always have to have a, a in, in our opinion, a quantitative element uh, to it because that's the language that they understand. If you're able to show quantitatively, you know, if these risks were to materialize, this could be the impact to our company and how much money we, we would spend when you take in first-party costs and third-party costs, i.e. forensics and counsel and, you know, reputational harm, you know, contracts potentially being violated. The list goes on and on how much business you potentially could lose. And then you demonstrate, you know, the investments that have been made and the controls that have been implemented and how we've reduced that risk down to whatever level. I think that's a language that, that the board and the executive team certainly understand and appreciate. What do you see organizations doing that has led to the greatest positive impact to their cyber risk management posture? You know, what, what I would say is I think first, you know, every organization has some type of uh, – of information security program, right? I would imagine that they have some type of, you know, sort of approach to managing cyber cyber related risk, right? So the organizations that we work with, small, medium, and large, you know, we've seen them really, again, understand, you know, what are the major risks that are occurring out there, the major threats that are occurring out there and kind of looking at their own information, you know, security program and, and what they are doing to be able to, you know, to, to deal with those risks. So, you know, I think, you know, if you understand, let's say, you know, that the ransomware is, is a, a, a pretty significant problem and, and could, you know, bring the organization or the public sector entity to its knees, you know, understanding what attackers typically do when they're conducting those attacks. I'll give you an example. So, you know, attackers, the, the first thing that they'll do when they're sort of conducting a, an attack is, and this is based on sort of the, the MITRE framework, which is really um, sort of an attack or kill chain uh, framework that, you know, has been created by, by those in, in the industry. But the first thing they'll do is sort of reconnaissance um, to understand more about the organization or the public sector entity that they're targeting, right? So they'll actively scan, they'll, they'll try to gather any information that they can, gather any network-related information, 
Sometimes they'll search for closed source, closed sources for any information. You know, sometimes they'll even search the website of, of those that they're targeting, right? That's called sort of reconnaissance. And then they move into sort of, you know, gathering their resources and developing their resources and how they're, how they're actually going to, you know, conduct the attack, whether it's, you know, leveraging compromised accounts or compromised infrastructure, right? They're developing their capabilities and how they're going to conduct the attack to then, you know, determining what their initial access is going to be, how they're actually going to, how they're going to, to achieve that. So, you know, we keep hearing about supply chain compromises. That's, that's a, a way to get initial access in. We keep hearing about phishing. That, that's another way. I mean, there's a handful of, you know, I, I talked about vulnerabilities earlier on. You know, an, an attacker can gain initial access by, you know, exploiting a vulnerability. But that's another, you know, these are just examples of how they get into executing whatever they're trying to execute to then establishing persistence making sure that they're still in the environment to evading existing defenses. You know, these attackers, uh, you know, and these groups sometimes are very, very clever. They're very sophisticated. They work in groups. They have good resources. And so sometimes they're, they're able to, to evade defenses, to, you know, moving laterally, to establishing command and control, to exfiltrating data if that's applicable, and then causing the, the initial impact. So it's important to understand, right, how these attackers do what they do to answer your question of, you know, what are organizations doing that have, have led to the greatest positive impact to their cybersecurity you know, posture is once you understand what attackers are doing and how they're going about doing that, you can kind of look at the defenses that you have in place to determine if you're going to be able to thwart, you know, what, what an attacker would do step by step. I kind of talked about that just a few minutes ago to being able to catch it, right, through, through uh, you know, having your systems sort of capture those behaviors and having, you know, folks monitor that and that they see oddities, you know, or, or, or logs or events or things of that nature being generated, they can start to hunt and figure out whether or not they're truly compromised or whether or not it's legitimate behavior. You have to understand, in our opinion, what is actually happening in the threat landscape at a high level, understand your greatest risk, to then determine you know, what you need to do within the information security program to mitigate the risks of, of those things. Are there strategies that organizations are leveraging to quantify their cyber exposure to help in right-sizing insurance and the information security budgets? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of touched on that a, a little bit earlier on. So, you know, maybe just to, to kind of double-click on, on that a little bit, you know, talked about quantitative analysis. So generally the steps that, you know, we as a team will take, and, and certainly there's there's other, you know, really good firms out there that do this work as well, but we just happen to have all this claims data and incident response data because of how we're how we're set up. But but generally what we do is when we're working with the client to answer this question of, you know, are we overbuying, are we underbuying, you know, coverage, you know, help us figure that out. We will you know, sort of identify mission critical information technology. All of this falls into the scenario analysis bucket, right? Where identify mission critical technologies to 
then overlaying what we think are credible cyber, you know, related attacks based on, you know, cyber threat intelligence. So threat intelligence is a, is a key uh, component to this analysis, again, because you kind of know what, what attackers are, are doing to then, you know, what we call conducting, you know, attack a path analysis, right? So identifying what, what could the attacker actually do to uh, cause that scenario to, to occur, and then we start to model that out. Right, so this is where we're doing data analysis and loss quantification. So, you know, based on, you know, sort of, or, or data mining the incidents that we've worked on on the claim side, you know, I think to date we're about 2,000 incidents and then, you know, over a thousand claims. We, we look at all of that and then we start to model out, you know, if, again, if this, this particular, you know, attack were to occur quantitatively, this is what we've seen. Are the impacts from a first a first party or third party a third party exposure, and then you know we sort of conclude that with sort of a stress testing exercise, which is really sort of the, the risk management optimization, right? So if this attack were to occur, we know quantitatively this would be the exposure when we consider the first party costs, third party costs, and exposures. You know what do we want to do? Do we want to you know, mitigate the risk of that happening through you know, the investment of security controls and protections and people or services or what have you, or do we want to transfer that risk to an insurance product of, of some sort? So that's how, you know, we are helping our clients kind of figure this this question out, you know, uh, these days in terms of right-sizing cyber insurances, identifying the scenarios that are very, that, that are applicable, that, that could happen, that, you know, really bring the, the organization to, to its knees, right, the top three, top five, in some cases, top seven. We model that out, the impact, considering all the things that the organization is doing. Then we stress test to really understand, you know, how do we manage those risks? And then that determines, you know, what uh, the strategy is going to be for, for insurance and or investing in, in mitigating the risk of, of, it, uh, of something bad happening. So, Absolutely, there are techniques and there are strategies out there to to quantify cyber exposures, but you know, and, and right-sizing insurance. But it's really based on the the data that I think you have to be able to go back and sort of cross-reference. Now, there's tools like Fair and others that are that are great tools, but a lot of those are subjective. Again, very helpful tools to to leverage, but we think that you know, it's it's about the data that we can look back and, and use that as sort of a, a measure of, of what those numbers should be. Thank you for tuning in to Prima's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Should you have any questions regarding this podcast or any podcast in this series, please email education at primacentral.org. To learn more about Prima's educational resources, please visit primacentral.org. Thanks again.